Welcome to Health Matters at Sargent College. The mission of Sargent College is to advance, preserve, disseminate, and apply knowledge in the health and rehabilitation sciences. BU's Sargent College strives to create an environment that fosters critical and innovative thinking to best serve the healthcare needs of society. Each episode of Health Matters at Sargent College will include faculty, students, or alumni who will share their knowledge with you. I'm Karen Jacobs, the Associate Dean of Digital Learning and Innovation at Sargent College, and I'll be your moderator for each episode. On this episode of Health Matters at BU Sargent, we have an occupational therapy faculty member, um, assistant professor Dan Fulford. But Dan, um, you're a clinical psychologist, correct? That's right. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about being a clinical psychologist and also about your lab called Approach motivation and participation lab and and maybe explain some of that those those terms to us um, as well as some of the interesting research you're doing so welcome thank you thanks for having me um, yeah so my my training is in clinical psychology which essentially means that I'm trained as a as a, a therapist uh, providing um, psychosocial or behavioral interventions for people mostly with with various mental illnesses uh, but also people who run the spectrum of just kind of um, concerns or needs around daily living. Um, my laboratory, my research laboratory in the Department of Occupational Therapy at BU is called the Approach Motivation and Participation Lab. Um, approach motivation is the way we describe people's tendencies towards approaching or achieving um, desired outcomes, whether it be a new job or a new relationship or um, achieving outcomes related to self-improvement, exercise. And so that the idea being that you're approaching something that you would like to achieve versus trying to avoid something that you would not like to happen in your life. And that's really the key distinction there. Um, participation is a term that's really drawn from occupational therapy. And that was my homage to being in an OT uh, department. Um, in the sense that we, what, we, what we're really, really trying to understand in doing our research around motivation or kind of drive towards these desired goals is we want to understand to what extent uh, that drive or motivation results in um, meaningful occupational engagement um, and so participation in daily living. So the way we do that is through a variety of different types of studies from just trying to understand people's motivation to actually trying to help people in their motivation or drive. And so um, in both contexts, we tend to use uh, digital technologies, mostly smartphones, but also kind of desktop applications or other um, wearable devices, wearable sensors. Like if you think of something like a Fitbit, which would track your steps or your activity, we incorporate all of those different technologies to get a really comprehensive um, big picture understanding of, of the way in which people engage in daily life uh, with a real focus on trying to understand where things might uh, become challenges for people with mental illnesses or other physical illnesses uh, that interfere with those um, capacities. Um, and a, a more recent focus of our lab has been in really trying to hone in more specifically on people's social motivation. So they're 
drive or desire to interact with others, to form and maintain relationships, to improve existing relationships, um, and really trying to understand when that tends to break down. So you have a lab um, right at Sargent College, in Sargent College on the fifth floor. So is this open to the public, um, your lab? Um, who's coming to your lab? So the way that our laboratory works is that, as I mentioned, we use a lot of mobile technology, which means that most of our studies are actually happening out in the community. So people will be bringing in their own smartphone or cell phone, or we provide them if they don't have one uh, to participants. They'll come into our laboratory, which is not kind of what you would think of as, as one of those traditional laboratories where we're using pipettes or <laughs> trying to understand uh, chemistry in, in a wet lab environment. It's really just a, if you think of it as an office, uh, but an office where we would meet with folks. Uh, we do a lot of interviews. We give people questionnaires or surveys that are generally around um, motivation or social um, participation. And really, in, and I would say about, I don't know, three quarters of our studies now, we then follow people along over a series of weeks or months while they're interacting with say a mobile application that incorporates uh, other surveys that kind of happen more regularly. So they might be uh, notified through their phone uh, twice a day, three times a day, four times a day to fill out a few surveys. Um, or we might actually incorporate more of a treatment or intervention. And so that's what we've been doing a little bit more recently is helping people with their social goal attainment through a smartphone-based application. So our research is really, I would say 90% of the time happening outside of the research lab. And then the rest of the time we're in the lab um, interacting with folks. So Dan, um, what has it been like to be um, working in this occupational therapy department with your background in clinical psychology. I know you're using some of the, the terminology we use. We mentioned mm -hmm. participation. Um, you know, what, how, how has it been to be situated um, with occupational therapy? Yeah, so I think, you know, what's been really a, a great um, um, experience for me and for the lab is that we are very interdisciplinary as a lab. So we have uh, graduate students that span uh, mental health counseling, clinical psychology, of course, occupational therapy. We have a student who is in behavioral neuroscience in that PhD program. Um, we have students who just run the gamut in terms of health-related research. So what's great about that is that the students themselves are just really interested in each other's work and coming from different perspectives. OT, of course, being a central one, in that our students really are thinking about the broad spectrum of, of participation from um, incorporation of people's context and environment, um, the extent to which we can not just try to understand things that are happening within the person, but understanding how people's um, full contextual um, considerations really influence, say, their motivation or participation in social um, interactions. Um, so that's really, I think, been a key advantage of our laboratory. If we were placed, say, in a clinical psychology department, I think that uh, we wouldn't be operating too much differently in terms of the research we do, but I feel like we would have a little less of this broad spectrum of the whole human in, engaged in their occupation. And so I think that's really a, been a big advantage of being in this department. And I've learned so much as a faculty member about 
in particular, I would say assessments of understanding more the meaning of occupation and how we really try to understand that from a big picture. Um, so for example, thinking of our outcomes, if we're trying to address, say, um, social impairment in, in somebody, say, with schizophrenia, our, our focus is not going to be so much on just trying to, say, reduce symptoms or, or really focus more specifically on, say, functional performance, but we really try to take a very big picture view on trying to address what is meaningful to the person themselves. How do we get the person engaged in the things that they really care about? Well, I'm delighted that you're in our department. Thank you. Um, you're a real asset and your knowledge and skills has been really fabulous to have in the educational program and of course in research. Thank so you, Karen. Can you, oh, you're welcome. Can you share any findings that you have um, from your research? You know, I know now, you know, looking at apps and using apps mm -hmm. are so important. Uh, is there anything you could share with us? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of our work, again, is um, looking at how to better understand the big picture contextual variables that influence people's social participation. A key focus of the lab in the last few years has been on understanding social isolation and loneliness, which is very apropos in this day and age. Um, Isolation and loneliness are related but different ideas. Um, isolation being more the extent to which people are, are objectively alone, so they're not interacting with others. And loneliness being more about one's perception of how connected they feel to others. And so you could be very lonely but still interacting quite a bit with people. And on the other end, you could be um, not interacting with people much at all but not feel lonely. Um, so. Our work is really um, trying to understand these processes a bit more, um, particularly in the context of mental health. Um, so some of our recent findings have been in using smartphones to understand more how loneliness and isolation operate in daily life. Um, one of the things we've recently found is that loneliness and, and isolation at the daily level, so when we, we query people using smartphones you know, to report on how many people they're interacting with, how left out or lonely or connected they feel with people in the moment. We don't see a lot of coherence between those two things. So it's kind of consistent with a general understanding of how loneliness and isolation operate with each other. They're not super connected. So it just suggests that even at the daily level, in the context of daily life, there's not a whole lot of coherence between those two things. We've also found that really what's, what's important when it comes to loneliness are things like the extent to which people feel like they'll be rejected or criticized from others. If they have those feelings and, they, and they're really concerned that say in the future they're, they may not feel very connected to people that when they, when they experience that, that kind of sensation or phenomenon in the future, in the kind of immediate future, say a few hours later, they're more likely to feel lonely. Um, and further, when they feel lonely, and this is kind of, I think kind of an interesting finding is that the higher loneliness people feel at a given time point, the more likely it is that they're going to be isolated at a future time point. So when they feel I'm not connected to the others, I don't, I don't really feel like a part of the team, that in the, in the more immediate future, within a few hours, they're more likely to be alone, physically alone. So that's kind of a, almost a contradictory opposite finding of what you would expect, which would be that if I'm alone, I feel alone. Well, it's not really much, very much the case. So there's a lot of individual differences in how people experience connection with others. 
Um, and we were, we're trying to understand and capitalize on those individual differences so that we can say, develop more interventions for, with using smartphones that would be used in the context of daily life. So if we can really understand more and predict when people are going to feel lonely or isolated, we can use a more tailor-made approach through a smartphone app to um, try to get people more connected with others or help them you know, feel more connected at least or perceived to be connected to others through more meaningful interactions, for example. And you know, we're recording um, this podcast during a very interesting time period in, in the world. Yes. Where people are um, socially distancing themselves. Um, we have self-quarantines, we have mm -hmm. quarantines in general. And I think that, you know, understanding that kind of social interaction and what you're studying is very crucial. It's extremely crucial. Um, yeah. And at this point when people are needing to social distance themselves or, you know, self-quarantine and they may be alone, um, you know, you're sharing what you're finding, but are there perhaps some other, you know, suggestions that you might make to people now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the work um, coming up more in terms of big studies that ask people to report on their levels of loneliness and then also ask them to report on, say, their social media usage, there's a lot of controversy right now in terms of how much engagement in, say, Facebook or other social media outlets will make people feel more lonely or, or less connected to others. And I would say it's a, the, the evidence is mixed. I think in some cases for certain people, um, interacting with social media can be detrimental to their mental health or make them feel more isolated. But for other people, social media can really be, I would say, the key to keeping people connected. And so when we're talking right now about, um, you know, calls and, and really public health concerns around interacting with others and uh, forcing people to, to spend more time, um, you know, in isolation, I think one strategy is really to capitalize on, on social media and other opportunities for connecting with others in digital ways. Um, now, I think I say this in that I feel like there's, there's a large discrepancy among generations and different um, you know, uh, technology kind of savviness or, or um, familiarity with, with technology in which some people will truly be left out of this opportunity. Um, they don't have access to say smartphones or smartphone apps or computers that have video conferencing or other ways to connect to people. So I think that's something we really need to be mindful of. And perhaps this is an opportunity to really identify ways we can increase access to these digital uh, ways of connecting. Um, so I think that, you know, while we're more likely to be distanced, say, from other people in this context, the people that we are around, the people that we live with, for example, or the people that we can connect with more, we can actually try to focus on building more meaningful connections. So again, the more the extent to which we feel connected to people on a deeper level is really most predictive of how lonely we might feel and less so about to what extent we're really interacting with larger groups of people. So I feel like we can really think about targeting that sensation or feeling of being connected with those who we can interact with in this moment and less so about connecting with as many people as we can in sort of a broader context and then using these digital technologies to support that. Well, Dan, that, that's really such good advice um, as well. And as an occupational therapist, you know, I've been reaching out to people to think about 
other ways that they can feel connect, connected, and to actually use this time to think about meaningful occupations that perhaps they didn't have the time to do, um, mm -hmm. but now, now have that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've said, you know, put out a puzzle, do a puzzle, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, listen to, you know, a book on tape or read, read a book and, and call a friend and discuss, discuss the book. Both of you could be doing at the same time. Um, right. even paint, we have some, some colleagues that are doing paint by numbers. If you've got that, do, do that. Mm -hmm. So think about other things that you can do. Um, and also then share what you're doing with others. So it may not yeah. be at that synchronous moment. Um, mm -hmm. but it could be later on during, during the day. So yeah. as we get closer to concluding, um, what's on the horizon for you? What, what's mm -hmm. that next big question or questions that, that you, you want to explore? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I think that, so we just, uh, we have this project that we've just gotten started with that is really trying to understand um, these kind of predictors or, or variables in people's environments that would help us better identify when individuals are feeling lonely or isolated. Um, so I think the next step of this is really to then, as I kind of briefly mentioned before, is when we can identify, say, unique signatures of people's um, tendencies towards isolation or loneliness, um, then we can start to build in more of these treatments or interventions that can be um, scalable in the sense that when, when we think about something like a smartphone or even just a mobile phone generally, if we can use that as this device to better understand when people are struggling with loneliness or isolation, then we can also use it as a device to help remedy that as in the ways that I described. So on the horizon for our lab is really building in more of these intervention approaches um, where the the intervention is literally at the palm of one's hand um, and that we, you know, it, build upon these models of understanding it first and then think about well when when and where can we intervene so I really am excited about those next steps that's great Dan I'm excited for you this, your projects are so very interesting and I look forward to following them um, in conversations with you but in publications that you'll have um, out is there are there any journals in particular where people can find your work yeah, well, you know, we, we actually publish across a, a wide array of, of journals. Um, my, my website, my um, lab's website is www.buamplab.com. And there I, I post all PDFs of our published research so that it's accessible to everyone. Uh, you also can find us on Twitter and we have a ResearchGate page and, and Google Scholar. And so we're pretty much all over the web and try to make our work as accessible as possible. So often we will, um, we've, we've been going into the, this area of preprints lately where we'll have a, a publication that we're working on before we even have it published, we'll make it accessible through Open Science Framework, OSF, which is a, another website as well that is publicly accessible. And people can see our work as we're, as we're building it out even before it's say in the, in the more research um, publication domain. So um, those are all places that you can find our work. Dan, thank you. Um, yeah. Really fabulous. And, and I want to thank you for taking the time during this very busy time for everybody uh, to be on Health Matters at yeah. B Sargent. So thanks so much. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was fun talking to you about this stuff. So.